0: Thank you, Julia. Uh, apologies for the issues with the, <clears throat> the screen here. You know, it's, technology is great until it's, uh, until it's not. As, as Candace mentioned, um, if you want the song lyrics for later in the service, there's a little sign right here uh, that's, that's by the door coming in. So feel free to scan that QR code on that sign with your phone camera and that will take you to the bulletin which has the, the lyrics. Um, but before we get into the sermon, would you join me in a word of prayer? Oh Lord God, we thank you for this time when we can press pause on the busyness of our lives and just turn our hearts and our minds to you. Lord, we pray that you would send your Holy Spirit into our hearts now to open us up, help us to hear the words of love, the words of comfort that you have for us. But God, we also ask you to open us up to the ways that you're pushing us, the ways that you're challenging us to, to be better and to grow so that we can be the people that you have called us to be. God, we ask all of this in the name of your Son, who is the living Word. Amen. Well, I want to start today with just a a quick show of hands. Raise your hand if you made at least one New Year's resolution this year. Any resolution makers? Okay, a few, some shy resolution makers. Uh, we're probably less than average. I, I saw an article this week that was uh, saying it's estimated about 40% of Americans make resolutions every year. I won't share with you the statistics about how many of us keep our resolutions because it's kind of a downer. We're not so good at keeping them. Uh, but this article I was reading was also talking about the most common resolutions that we Americans make. and. You can probably guess what they were one of the most common ones was uh, we want to improve our our fitness our, our physical health, whether that 's dieting or exercise or weight loss that kind of that kind of thing. Uh, another very common one was improving our finances that you know we want to Uh, earn more, spend less, save more, get out of debt, all of those kinds of things. Another very common one was related to to improving our time management, that we want to be more efficient in certain areas so that we can spend more time doing things we enjoy, our friends, our family, our hobbies, those those sorts of things. Uh, I was reading over this list of the most common resolutions and one thing jumped out to me and that is that all of these resolutions are all about us. They're all about ourselves and and improving our own lives. We don't really make New Year's resolutions to improve other people's lives. And why is that? I was thinking about this. I think maybe part of the reason is because we live in a culture that tells us that the way to happiness, the way to fulfillment in life is to focus on ourselves and to focus on building ourselves up in different ways. We're told if you can just build yourself up in life in, in different ways, you can find happiness and, and fulfillment. And we do this in different ways. For some of us, we, we get very focused on building ourselves up physically. This is reflected in the, the New Year's resolutions, right? We want to be in great shape, not only so that we can feel good, but we want to look good. We want to be attractive to other people. Uh, we, we think that's going to bring us happiness and fulfillment, right? Or others of us, uh, we we get really focused on building ourselves up financially. We want to have more money because we think with more money, we're going to get security and peace. We're going to have the kind of lifestyle that other people will look at us and and admire us and envy us. We can have the car, the clothes, the house in the right neighborhood, whatever. Uh, Some of us get very focused on building ourselves up um, professionally, right? We want to accomplish and achieve. We want to be top in our field, whatever that field might be, because we think, well, then I'll be happy and fulfilled. People will respect me and and look up to me. Uh, Some of us get very focused on building ourselves up emotionally, that we work really, really hard in life to try to stifle any negative emotions, or we want to try to distance ourselves from anything that makes us feel uncomfortable. I don't know what this might look like in your life. But we have this culture that tells us this is the way to be happy and fulfilled in life. Build yourself up. Uh, The the only problem, or at least one of the problems with that, is that uh, our culture actually has a really terrible track record of helping people achieve happiness and fulfillment. We know this, right? If you look at the statistics, despite all of our focus on ourselves and self-improvement, nevertheless, we as a society, we are as depressed as ever. We're as anxious as ever. We're as exhausted, we're as dissatisfied with our lives as ever. And my guess would be that some of us here today would say, yeah, I'm feeling that in my life. I'm working so hard to build myself up in whatever way and, and I, I, there's a happiness, the fulfillment, it's just, it's not coming, I'm, I'm exhausted, I'm overwhelmed by it. Maybe you came to church today on some level because you think there's got to be more there's got to be a better way. There's got to be more to life than just building myself up. And so what I want to remind us this morning is, is pretty simple, but it's, it's that according to Jesus, there is a better way. That There is a much, much better way of approaching our lives. Now, I don't want to completely knock self-improvement. That's not my point here. Uh, we need to take care of ourselves physically and financially, and it's good to do well professionally, and all this. All this is good, right? But if we get too focused on building ourselves up, we're actually never going to find the kind of happiness and fulfillment that we crave in life. And we're certainly never going to find the kind of life that God wants for us. And that's why Jesus has come to us to show us a better way. And so, what is that way? What is the way of Jesus in contrast to the way? Of the world. That's what I want to get us thinking about together this morning. And to help us think about this, I want us to spend a little time in this passage from Matthew chapter 20 that Julia just read for us. I think this passage is really relevant to us, and I think there's a powerful, powerful lesson for us here. So let's talk about the story for a second. Um, When it begins, we meet Jesus. And we learn that Jesus is traveling. Jesus is on a journey. He's going from his home region, which is called Galilee. It's kind of this rural area in the northern part of Israel. And he's going to the south. He's going to the big city of Jerusalem. And we know that Jesus is not traveling alone. He had a big group of people with him. This was pretty common in those days. Um, Folks tended to travel in big groups because Traveling was very unsafe. They they had a lot of dangers and things that we don't even think about in our context today, like uh, because you weren't in a car flying down the road at 80 miles an hour, you were just walking. You could be ambushed by robbers or bandits or thieves. That was a big problem. There wasn't a big police presence on a lot of these roads. Uh, They didn't have ambulances, so if you're on a journey and you have some sort of medical event, there's no ambulance that's going to whisk you away to a hospital. Uh, Similarly, like, there's no cell phones. There's no roadside assistance. If you get in a bad situation, nobody's coming to rescue you, so you don't want to be caught out on the road by yourself, and that's why people would travel in these these big groups, and so that's what Jesus is doing. Uh, He's got this big group of people around him. He's got his 12 disciples, kind of his inner circle there with him. Uh, He's got family members of his, other followers, and we're told that even his disciples actually brought some of their family members to to join this kind of caravan, right? You can picture this this big group, everybody's sort of moseying, moseying down the road. Well, as they're walking, this woman comes and approaches Jesus. And we're told that this woman is the mother of James and John. Who are James and John? Maybe some of you remember. James and John were these two fishermen. They were brothers. They had this fishing business together on the Sea of Galilee. And one day Jesus came to them and he called them to come and be his disciples, and so they left their fishing nets, they left their business, and they went, and, and that was about three years ago at this point, they, they went to follow Jesus. And apparently on this particular journey, they brought their mom along, right? We, we actually, we don't know her name. Uh, we do know her husband's name. Her husband's name is Zebedee, which is kind of fun to say. Let's just say that out loud, just say Zebedee. Thank you, yes, yes. Um, so we, we're just gonna call her Mrs. Zebedee for our purposes, to, that may be patriarchal, but that's all we got to go on, right? So Mrs. Zebedee, Mrs. Z, she, she comes to Jesus, and she bows very reverently, and she says, Jesus, I, I need to ask you a favor. And Jesus is like, yes, Mrs. Z, how can I help you? And she, um, she says this. Let me, uh, let me read the verse to you. This is verse uh, 21 in the story. She says, Jesus, um, say that these two sons of mine will sit one at your right hand and one at your left hand, in your kingdom. What in the world is she talking about? Well, at this time, a lot of people assumed that Jesus was getting ready to establish a new, like, worldly kingdom. They figured that sooner or later, Jesus, you know, he was growing in popularity, they figured sooner or later he was going to raise up an army or like a militia, and he was going to fight, and he was going to drive out the Romans and kick them out, and he was going to establish himself as the new king of Israel, And people were really excited about this because they hated the Romans. They wanted them out. Uh, Hundreds of years before this, Israel had some glory days where they were kind of the regional superpower in that part of the world. And so many of these folks, they wanted to get back to that. And they thought Jesus was the guy to help them to do it. And so that's what Mrs. Z seems to have in mind here when she comes to Jesus. And basically she's, she's saying to him, you know, Jesus, once you've established your kingdom... Once you kind of get things set up and you're living in the palace and you're living in luxury and you're running your kingdom, you know, you're not going to want to do that alone. You're going to need a right-hand man. You're going to need a left-hand man to kind of help you run the kingdom, you know, and and maybe you want to be grooming them to take over when your reign comes to an end. And uh, they're probably going to need to live in the palace with you and maybe even their mom could move into the palace too, you know, you kind of see the angle that she's working here. So she says, Jesus, you know, um, just, let's just go ahead and settle this. Just go ahead and say that my two boys, James and John, will sit at your right hand and your left hand in your kingdom. Well, what does Jesus say to that? Uh, Jesus has tried time and time again for three years now to explain to everybody that he is not that kind of king and that is not his kind of kingdom. But I don't know if he's tired or, or what, but he doesn't feel like rehashing all of that with Mrs. Zebedee in this moment. Um, and so instead, uh, he, he says to her, in effect, he says, you know, this, this is kind of above my pay grade, a decision like that. This is sort of a little bit of a cop-out on Jesus' part, I think. Um, but he's like, you know, it's really more like God the Father who picks the right-hand and left-hand person. So I, my hands are tied. I, I can't really help you, Mrs. Z." And he sort of politely brushes her off. That would, be, that would be the end of the story, except you got these other ten disciples, right? And they hear what James and John and Mrs. Zebedee have been up to. And when they hear about it, there's all this disciple drama that breaks out. They get all angry because they're like, hey, wait a second. We want to be Jesus' right-hand man. We want to live in the palace. What about our moms? Our moms want to live in the palace too. You know, what the heck? You can't go behind our back and call dibs. That's not how this works. And so you can sort of picture the scene of like this group of grown men on the side of the road, and they're probably yelling at each other and calling each other names and, and this and that. And finally, Jesus just has enough of all of this. Not just because he's sick of hearing them squabbling with each other. But Jesus has enough of this because he can see the root of the problem here. And the root of the problem is that everybody in this story, except for Jesus himself, everybody is completely focused on building themselves up, right? They all want power for themselves. They want fame for themselves. They want wealth. They want luxury for themselves. That's what they're completely focused on here. And so what does Jesus do? He he calls them over. And he sits them down, and listen again to what Jesus says to them in this important moment. He says, you know that those who rule the Gentiles, that is like the the people of this world, those who rule the Gentiles, they show off their authority over them, and their high-ranking officials order them around. Jesus is saying, listen, the people of this world are obsessed with building themselves up. That's what they're focused on in life, and that's understandable because that's the way of the world. But Jesus goes on, he said, but that, that's not the way it will be with you. That is my my followers. He says, Whoever wants to be great among you will be your servant. Will be your your servant. I know you know the answer to this, but but what is a servant? A servant is somebody who focuses on serving others, right? I mean, we don't really have servants in the traditional sense in our culture much today, but you, know, you think about like a server at a restaurant. Have you ever been sitting at a nice restaurant and you're having a good time and you're enjoying your meal and the server comes over and they pull up a chair and they sit down and they start eating next to you? No, right, that would never happen. That's not what servers do. Servers are, are busy serving. They're seeing. do you need a refill? Do you need more bread? Did you save room for dessert? Is it time to bring the check? That's what servers focus on. They're on serving others. Similarly, Jesus goes on and he says to the disciples, he says, whoever wants to be first among you will be your slave, your slave. Now, this is a metaphor. Jesus is not endorsing slavery, obviously, but, but he's saying, you know, a slave is somebody who's not working for their own benefit. They're working for the benefit of someone else, you see. And then finally, Jesus says, think about me. Think about my example. He, he says, just as the human one, sometimes that's translated the son of man. This is a, a title that Jesus has borrowed from the Old Testament. He's, he's talking about himself. Just as the human one didn't come to be served, but to serve, he says, and to liberate Many people. Jesus is saying, hey, disciples, think about this. You've been following me around for three years. Have you ever once seen me trying to to build myself up? And, of course, the answer is, well, no, right? Jesus had every opportunity, but he he didn't use his miraculous powers to feed himself. He he fed other people. He never healed himself. As far as we know, he, he healed other people. And even when he did miracles like walking on water, turning water into wine and and these kinds of things, he didn't do it for himself. He did it for others because he he didn't come to be served, he came to serve. And so you you see what Jesus is is driving at here? He's saying, listen, the world, the culture is always going to tell you, hey, the way to happiness is focus on yourself, build yourself up in life. Jesus is saying, no, 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 that's not the way to life not the way to true happiness and and fulfillment. Jesus is saying, listen, if you want the life that God created you for, you need to shift your focus away from yourself, and instead you need to focus on building others up. Don't build yourself up and get obsessed with that. Build others up. Build others up. Build others up. One of the reasons that I wanted to, to talk about this today is, um, if you were with us last week, you remember this. We're, we're in a sermon series right now uh, that's called Influencers. And, and we're thinking about uh, th- this God-given ability that we have to influence the people around us in our lives. You know, every single day, we, we sometimes kind of forget this, that there's people all around us in life. Many of us have people around us at home There's certainly people around us at work, at school, at church, obviously, um, at the store, at the gym. Everywhere we go, there's all these people all around us. And God has created us with the ability to have an influence on those people. And the reason that God wants us to have an influence on those people is not so that we can influence them to build ourselves up. It's so that we can influence them to to build them up. And so part of what this means is that uh, the, the reason that God has put you right here, right now in your life is because there are some people around you who need to be built up in some way right now. And God is calling you and God is calling me to do that work, you see? And so I think all of this sort of leads us to the the very practical question of who is God calling you to build up in your life right now? Who is God calling you to build up. I'll give you a couple of suggestions just to to get your wheels turning about this. Um, Could it be that there's somebody at your workplace who needs some encouragement right now or maybe even some mentorship? Uh, I can remember my very first year out of seminary, which is like pastor school. This is my first time being a pastor. Uh, I got appointed to a a very large church. I was an associate pastor on this huge staff. So all of a sudden I was a very little fish in a very big pond and I had been to school to become a pastor, but there was still, believe it or not, a lot that I didn't know and that I was trying to, to figure out. And um, at times in that, in that first year, I was, I was overwhelmed and, and I felt inadequate. And uh, I was fortunate there was a, an older pastor on the same church staff. I was just starting out. He was getting ready to retire. And he noticed me. And he saw that I was new and there was so much I was learning. He saw that I would get overwhelmed sometimes. And he took it upon himself to just start building me up. And he would like pop into my office randomly And he would just share these powerful words of encouragement. He would say, Daniel, you're you're doing a great job. And listen, you're improving. You are growing. I see your progress. He would say things to me like, Daniel, your future is so bright. Don't get discouraged. Your future is so bright. And and he built me up and that made such a powerful difference in my life. I, I wonder, is God calling you to do something similar for someone in your workplace? Uh, or, you know, maybe you have a friend or maybe just an acquaintance who is struggling right now. Maybe they could use some extra care or support. Is God calling you to, to reach out to somebody that you know, to send them a card, to bring them a meal, to invite them to coffee so that you can chat with them and let them vent and, and get some of the stuff off their chest and be that shoulder for them to cry on? Who Who is God calling you to build up right now? Um, uh, it could be that it's not just one particular individual. It could be uh, that that there's a group of people that God is calling you to build up or possibly even a whole demographic of people. I'll give you an example of this. Um, I think this is especially important for us to think about. On this MLK weekend, you know, for those of us who are white, like myself, it's really important for us that, that we be building others up by educating ourselves on the history of racism in this society because the truth is there's a lot that I think many of us never really learned in school. I think it's very important for for those of us who are white to be uh, learning about the ongoing racial injustices in this society to learn how to be actively anti-racist in our lives, why? So that we can build up and support and be faithful allies to our black brothers and sisters and siblings and, and really anybody in our society that hasn't had the kind of privileges and advantages that some of us have had. That's an important way to be building others up. So so you see, it it can take a lot of different forms. But if we're going to follow Jesus, all of us need to find an answer to this question, who is God calling me to build up right now? Uh, One of the reasons I think this matters so much is um, not to be morbid, but, you know this, at some point, we're not going to be here anymore, right? Our life is going to come to an end, and we're going to be gone. And when that happens, what are we going to be remembered for? Are we going to be remembered for the ways that we built ourselves up, or are we going to be remembered for the ways that we built others up? Um, I've been thinking about this a lot lately. Um, Sadly, a, a few weeks ago, my grandmother passed away right after Christmas. She was 94 years old, she lived a, a good long life, and as she passed, she was surrounded by loved ones, and, and I'm grateful for that. I'm, I'm actually uh, going to lead her memorial service next weekend, so I'll, I'll be out of town, I won't be here. Uh, but as I've been processing and, and getting ready um, for that, I've been thinking about funerals a lot, and you know, if you've been to any funerals, you've probably noticed this, what do people talk about at funerals? You know, a lot of times at a funeral, pe- people don't talk about how skinny the deceased person was, right? They, they don't talk about um, how, how big their house was, what kind of car did they drive, that uh, they don't talk about how stylishly that person dressed, do they? Now, so sometimes they'll talk about their professional accomplishments, sometimes they'll talk about the hobbies and the things that that person enjoyed in life, but usually that's Still more of a side note, what people really want to talk about at a funeral is is the way that person built others up, right? I can remember several years ago, I was at my grandfather's funeral, and I was standing in the receiving line after the service, and people were coming out, folks who knew my grandfather, and and you know, I remember meeting folks that had worked for him at, at his business, and they didn't want to tell me what a great businessman he was, although he was a, a successful businessman. They wanted to say... He was such a great boss. He was such a great mentor to me. He, he really influenced me and helped set me on my career pathway and I'm so grateful. Or people would come through that, that knew my grandfather from his church. And they would want to tell me about how he volunteered, how he gave back, how he was generous financially and the, the impact that that made on his community. He, he, I had friends of his come through that, that just wanted to tell me how, he, how the, he had supported them in different seasons of their life and, and how he made them feel. These are the kinds of things that we talk about at a funeral, right? Why? Because I think at the end of someone's life, we have this clarity that, that we often don't have in the midst of our everyday lives about what really matters, And it makes sense. Building others up is what really matters because that's what God created us to do. That's what God created us to focus on. And so if we want to find not what this culture calls happiness and fulfillment, if we want to find true happiness and fulfillment in life, if we want to find the life that God wants for us, yeah, we we can work on ourselves and that has a place, but we, we can't get too focused on that. We need to make sure that we're building others up. Building others up, building others up. Let me pray for us. Oh, gracious God, um, as you well know, uh, we live in this culture that um, teaches us to, to really be obsessed with ourselves and, and and to puff ourselves up and to to build ourselves up, God. And we often fall into this trap of thinking that if if I just work on myself enough or I improve enough or I... Lose this much weight or make this much money or achieve this in my profession that finally I'll, I'll arrive and I'll be content, Lord. And we try so hard at that, God, but we, we find ourselves exhausted because we, we never arrive. And God, we're so thankful that you, you love us so much that you, you've come to us to show us a better way, to show us your way. God, give us the, the wisdom to receive this word. It's so challenging and, and countercultural. But we know it's important, God. So uh, give us the courage to to be different, to set different priorities, to make the changes that we need to make in life so that we can build others up, God. We we pray for each one of us that you would open our eyes to the people around us who need to be built up in some way that you're calling us to do. Lord, help us to figure out what that means and, and how to do that. And we pray that you would work through us so that others would see a glimpse of you and a glimpse of your love in us, God. Again, we thank you for this message. Continue to be with us as we do this work, and we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.